I want you to turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. The title for this message this morning is Our Spiritual Sacrifice. We do have some notes. We do have a PowerPoint this morning. So if you want to take some notes, um, just simply feel free to look up on the screen. Uh, Colossians chapter 1, I'm going to be reading it in a few moments. Um, for the last few weeks, the last few months, we've been, we've been discussing uh, on Sunday mornings um, a, a series on the book of Romans. And it's been absolutely priceless uh, to me. We've been learning a lot about what makes our faith a reality. And we've been talking about, we've been tossing words around like justification and redemption and righteousness. And what a wonderful thing it is not to have to worry about um, having to earn our place in heaven. Amen, somebody. What a wonderful thing that is. But in attempt to keep us honest to some of the moral responsibilities that do exist, I want to pause our Romans series for just this one week. I promise you, it's just for this one Sunday. I just, I want, I want to be faithful to God with the things that He's been prompting me uh, to do lately. And I've been in prayer this week, I've been in study, I'm slightly getting over whatever it is I had in my lungs. And so I've had an opportunity to spend a lot of time in, in, in my home, reading and studying and praying and just, just listening to God. And I feel that this is a really good opportunity to, to insert this particular message, which speaks to the duties. Let's just use that word, the duties of our Christian faith. And the reason why I believe it's necessary is because, as I said already, tossing around words like justification and righteousness and redemption and all these glorious things that we have in Jesus, right, is easy for you and I, I believe. I know that I've been guilty of it, right? It's easy for you and I to grow comfortable in the things that pertain to God and dismiss some of the moral responsibilities that God, in fact, has given to us as children of God. Amen, somebody. I know that it's a glorious thing to be saved, but there's some work required. Not to be saved, but there's some work, some responsibility in terms of our faith, even if it's just so that others can have an opportunity to hear about Jesus from our lips. I don't think it is a time or a season for us to grow comfortable and dismiss some of these responsibilities. <coughs> Colossians chapter 1, read with me verses 9 through 14. And I want you to listen to Paul's tone about our Christian duty. That's the theme here today. He says, and so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. Bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all utterance and patience with joy. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son. In whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins. Father, I thank you for this opportunity to deliver your word publicly to your people. 
Father, may you give me the grace that I need, Father God, to follow through publicly with this burden that you've given me in secret. I thank you for it and I praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know if you've noticed from this one particular passage, passage, Paul's words were about spiritual responsibility concerning the life of the Colossian people. He wrote this portion of scripture so that they could understand their lives in a context beyond conversion. Did you hear that? I'm going to say that again. This passage was written by Paul the Apostle under the anointing of the Holy Spirit so that the Colossians then could understand their life in a context beyond conversion. It's a wonderful thing to be saved. It's a wonderful thing to come to Christ, to come to faith in Jesus when somebody shares the gospel. But then what? What becomes of our lives thereafter? Do we just simply sit on our hind parts and come to church and enjoy the wonderful messages and the wonderful inspiration and the wonderful worship? And that is what comprises our Christian life for the rest of our days? No, I think there's more to it than that. Look to the verse. He said that he had been praying for them so that they, quote, may be filled with the knowledge of his will. For what purpose? Quote, for the purpose of walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. So that they can walk or live their lives out in a manner worthy of the Lord. It's easy for us today to get wrapped up in the comforts of our faith. As I said already, um, <coughs> that sometimes we lose sight of God's will concerning our development. If you're writing down... Put this verse down. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. It says, We are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto all good works. The word unto in that particular passage implies that God has planned out our spiritual development. That it's His will for us to live out His purpose. That it's God's will for you and I to mature. Amen, somebody. It is God's will for us to mature in the things that pertain to God. So here's my aim in the event that somebody's writing something down. My aim with this message is to provide practical information from the Bible about God, about how God has always intended for you and I to follow through with our faith. That's my purpose, to understand from the Word of God What God's purpose has always been since the beginning of time for those who call upon him by faith. What has been God's intention? Intention has always been from cover to cover for you and I to follow through with our faith. And here's a question for us as we dive into it. How do we adequately, how do we adequately offer up ourselves to God? Because the Bible talks a lot about sacrifices, right? And that's the context. That's the body of this message is going to be discussed in the context of sacrifices. We're going to get there in a few moments. Uh, but think of yourself. Think, think of it along those lines. How do we, you and I, you and I, as followers of Jesus today, how do we adequately offer up ourselves to God? I mean, we've learned the models. We've heard the messages. We've the Bible studies. We come to church. Some of us have been in church a very long time. Right? 
I think it's still safe to say that we can learn a a thing or two today. Let me ask you, is it true that there's a right and wrong way to go about it? I'm not talking about whether we're saved or not. I think we've answered that question many, 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 many times. But it's a fair question nonetheless. Is there a right and wrong way of following through with our faith with regard to our duty as believers? Of course there is. There is a right and wrong way. For example, for example, why did God receive Abel's sacrifice and not Cain's? And don't say in your mind or in your heart that Cain's was rejected because they were vegetables. Because that would be superficial. Yes, he offered up vegetables, but that would be generic, a generic response. Cain's sacrifice was rejected because of the condition of his heart. And as a result of the condition of his heart, he wasn't willing to follow through with God's protocol concerning acceptable and unacceptable sacrifices. And I believe in my heart of hearts that the same thing in principle applies to you and I today. There is a manner in which you and I, as children of God, should be living out, or as we stated already, should be following through with our faith. And one of those reasons is because it's possible, according to Paul in his letter to the Romans, it is possible to grieve the Holy Spirit. That validates my claim right there. But let's move on, because I want to visit... I want you to turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 25. We're going to look at a couple of verses here. In the Old Testament, because the Old Testament actually has a lot <coughs> to say about our Christian duties in the context of sacrifices. We know, as a preface before reading this, that all sacrifices in the Old Testament represented, they were a shadow, an image, a type Of what Jesus Christ would one day fulfill on the cross for you and I. Right? So that goes without question. But is there anything practical that we can draw from their practices for our faith today? And of course there is. Exodus 25, 10 through 22. I'm not going to read all those verses. There's just too many. But in this passage, I'm going to read a couple. God... God gave Moses instructing, instructions for constructing a special altar that actually represented the role of Jesus in our lives today. Verses 1 through, actually 10 through, not sure, but follow along. It says, they should make an ark of acacia wood. Two cubits and a half should be its length. A cubit and a half its breadth. And a cubit and a half its height. You shall overlay it with pure gold. Inside and outside shall you overlay it. And you shall make on it a molding of gold around it. And again, as I stated already, it's a picture of Jesus' fulfillment of his promise toward mankind. It's the establishment of a new and living way made for us by his blood. It's the reason why Paul the Apostle in Romans 5, don't turn there, but Romans 5, 1 and 2, we've read this, we've studied it a couple weeks ago, where it talks about justification. It says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope 
of the glory of God. Verse 2 talks about this access that we have to God by faith because of what Jesus did. And the reason why I read Exodus, the Exodus passage, is because that particular ark, that altar, if you will, it represented fully what one day Jesus Christ would fulfill for you and I. So that we no longer have to go through the ritual of sacrificing one animal after, after another that actually did not serve to perfect anybody. Paul the Apostle, I believe, said that once before. So, so far we've established Jesus' role in our lives today. But that doesn't settle the matter because there's more to that, right? Our theme today has to do with our duty as believers. We've established that Jesus Christ is Lord in our lives. That's the picture that this Ark of the Covenant placed. Uh, uh, <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> I don't know what I'm getting over, but I'm good. I'm not contagious, all right? I promise you. Some of you are saying, there's always something wrong with this guy's lungs. Really? I need the nurses to help me out in that area. <clears throat> Maybe there's something that I can take. <clears throat> okay, so let's, let's move on. The, the, go to Exodus 20. I want you to look at something here. Exodus chapter 20. We're going to look at... If, you, if you're writing down notes, you may want to put down Exodus 20, 20, 22 through 26. But we're not going to read all those verses. Just going to read two verses, 24 and 25, or partial of 24, and then verse 25, because I want to stay with context. <clears throat> this one particular point is the stone altar. God gave Moses specific instructions for building this one particular altar. And verse 24, the beginning portion of it says, an altar of earth shall you make for me and sacrifice on it. Now look at verse 25. It says, if you make me an altar of stone, you shall not build it of hewn stones. For if you wield your tool on it, you profane it. This altar represented a personal relationship with God through the act of repentance. So, again, just a little quick recap. We talked about Christ in our lives. He's present. We're saved. We know Jesus. And now what? What do we do now with the rest of our lives? And, and, and the discussion that we're going to end to speaks to this point. This one particular altar, God gave instructions for it. You know, you're going to make it out of earth. That's the word that's used in the first verse, verse 24, which means it could have been the dirt, could have been the stones. And verse 25 says, if you make it of stones, let no tool touch this particular, let no tools touch the stones. Because if they used tools, then they actually profaned it. And it's a wonderful picture of how, of, or rather what we understand today in the New Testament concerning the fact that salvation is by faith and by faith alone. There's nothing you and I can ever do to earn salvation. We know that, right? We've established that for the past couple of months. But this is a picture of it right there. This is the type of what we enjoy today in Jesus. God instructed them to make sure not to touch any one of the stones with a tool. You have nothing to do with this process. You just simply follow my instructions. This is a picture of things to come. 
It's a picture of things to come. And you're going to ruin the entire process if you touch it with tools. But let's go on. It was intended for intimate fellowship with God. That was God's purpose here. And every single believer, every person back then, let's just call them believers, right? Every person um, in the Old Testament who actually took the time to erect a stone altar, he or she was identifying himself as a committed believer. This particular altar was unattractive in any, in every way. It was unattractive. It was made of dirt or stones with no personal touch to them whatsoever. It actually represented repentance and commitment to God. And every person who actually took the time to erect one of these altars was displaying that publicly. I have an intimate, or I desire to enter into a personal and intimate relationship with God. We're talking about Christian duties today, right? We're going to make some applications in a few moments. All right? Just follow me here. <coughs> we find a New Testament correlation, correlating truth all over the, all over the Gospels. For some reason, I've got to pause. <clears throat> I'm like, you see the sweat? I'm like getting really, really, really hot. I don't know why it is. I don't know if I got a fever or, or what. Uh, Jen, I need you to take, take my post. I need you to do what you do, girl. I'm, I'm like burning up. <clears throat> it's called what? Manopause. Oh, I don't appreciate your tone at all. You... Ushers, can you please escort her out? <laughs> like right now. Kyle, escort this woman out right now. Lord have mercy. I don't believe you just did that. <clears throat> Stay in your lane. Stay in your lane. I'm, 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 I'm preaching here. I'm preaching here. <clears throat> I want you to consider something. <clears throat> The correlating, the correlating truth from the things that I just said, we find them all over the Gospels. And it began with a proclamation long ago by John the Baptist. In John, you can find it in most of the Gospels, where he began to preach this message, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And the picture that the Bible paints over and over and over again is that God desires to enter into communion, into fellowship, into relationship with everybody he's created. Has God created you this morning? He's created everybody. This is a call. This is a clarion call, even, that God makes to all of mankind, to everybody in the society, to understand that God desires this, this intimacy. And he painted a wonderful picture using this, this model, this this practice, this ritual in the Old Testament. Consider this. In Matthew chapter 19, if you're writing down verses 16 through 22, Jesus was, he was, he was having a conversation with this young man. Probably the rich young man. And he was trying to get this young man to realize his need for an intimate relationship with God. The young man insisted that he had been keeping all of the all the commandments all his life, but in the end, Jesus expo exposed him as merely being a religious person. When, why, when the young man refused to follow Jesus' instructions, Jesus gave this young man instructions to sell all that he had and give it away and to come and to follow him. 
It's not to say that Jesus was promoting poverty, because that, that would just simply be anti-biblical. You don't, that wasn't, that's just something that individual required, because that's where his heart was. The Bible actually establishes the truth that where your heart is, there will, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So the money in that man's life was actually serving as an idol, and he needed to get rid of it in order to really, truly recognize the need for Jesus in his life, personally. And so that, that's the message that God is always trying to draw us to him. And in the case of that young man, he just simply walked away because he refused to follow the instructions that were given to him. Second Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. The new has come. And this is a wonderful experience that you and I have. Let me ask you, how many people here this morning know Jesus? Let me see your hand. You know Jesus, you've given your heart to him, and you consider yourself to be a child of God. Then this is a reality that has come to pass in your life. You can put it down. He's like this. He's like holding an extra time, extra time so that I know and everybody else knows that he's in the faith, that he's in the faith. All right, we got you, Bill. He says, I don't appreciate you calling me out like that. <clears throat> Let's move on. to the Go to Exodus 27. Because I want you to see the next step to this process. Because so far this is just the beginning. We know what Jesus Christ has fulfilled for us at the cross. We know that he died. We know that he shed every drop of blood in his body for us. And we know that he is calling us to faith in him. Because he's taking care of everything. And all we have to do is accept him. And those of us who accept him become a new creation when we commit our lives to him. But does the process stop there? That's the theme. That's what we're talking about here this morning. We're talking about our Christian duty. Does it stop there? Can I just simply sit on a pew for the rest of my life and enjoy myself and do nothing? There's absolutely no responsibility to the Christian faith. Bible says differently. In this passage, Exodus 27, presents to us a, a different type of altar. And it's called the bronze altar. Look at verses 1 and 2 with me. Because God gives Moses instructions to build this particular altar. He says, you should make the altar of acacia wood, five cubits long and five cubits broad. The altar shall be square and its height should be three cubits. And you should make horns for it on its four corners. Its horns should be of one piece with it. And you should overlay it with bronze. And on this one particular altar, I like this. And I like this particular study. Um, and one of the things that I learned first is that different types of sacrifices were offered on this particular altar. And like the, like the stone altar that preceded it, the main idea, we've discussed this already was the shedding of blood that took place. That's always the main idea, right? The shedding of blood. A picture of what Jesus would one day do. But is that all? Isn't there anything that we can draw from this experience in the Old Testament to help us with our faith today? Leviticus 3. I want you to see this. Turn to Leviticus chapter 3. <clears throat> Say amen when you find it. Because I want you to see this. There were different types of 
sacrifices are offered on this altar. And I want you to see how this applies to you and I today. Leviticus 3. Some of you are saying, man, I've never opened that book. You're going to look at it today. We're going to look at a few verses. Look at verse 9. It says, then from the sacrifice, then from the sacrifice of the peace offering, he shall offer as a blood offering to the Lord its fat. He shall remove the whole fat tail. <laughs> Imagine that. Cut off close to the backbone. And the fat that covers the entrails and all the fat that is on the entrails and the two kidneys with the fat that is on them at the loins and the long lobe of the liver that he should remove with the kidneys. And the priest should burn it on the altar as a food offering to the Lord. Like, really? What in the world is he? What direction is he moving in now? Some of you are probably thinking. I want you to think about this. When you get home, read this passage so you can understand it in this context. In this particular passage, God makes clear in the preceding verses, God makes it clear that a portion of this sacrifice went to the priests. The breasts. It says the breasts. This, this cavity here, this, this area here, the meat, the good stuff actually went to the priests. And God demanded the fat of the animals for himself. Look how many times the word fat is used on it. One, two, three, four, five. Five times, at least five times the word fat is used. And God emphasizes it over. I want you to give this portion to the priest, but I want you to give me the fat. I want you to give me the rest. Give me the kidneys, the liver, all that stuff. And offer that up to me. And there was a reason for that. And, and that would be a comprehensive study one day for Dr. Harburg, right? I, I, I can't go there with you because I just don't have that, that intimate knowledge, right? But I do know that some of this applies to you and I today. In principle, I'm not advocating sacrificing animals or anything like that. I'm not advocating uh, a system of works either. That's not what I'm saying. But there's a spiritual component here. There's an element here that you and I can apply to our lives uh, today. Listen to this question. Would it be considered an overreach? To say that this correlates with the New Testament teaching about sacrificing our flesh to the Lord and overreach? I don't think so. I think there was a particular reason, a special reason why God demands the fat. We can't earn our salvation, right? There's nothing I can truly offer God but my faithfulness. Isn't it true that if I'm unfaithful as a believer today, I will, in most cases, immediately grieve the Holy Spirit's activity in my life. I, I'll remain to be a Christian, a follower of God, and I love that, right? I, I enjoy that. But isn't it possible? Isn't it possible that if I'm not behaving, behaving as I should, if you and I are not necessarily behaving as we should, isn't it possible that we're going to somehow grieve the Holy Spirit within us and not necessarily experience the fullness that God has in store for us this side of heaven? How many know that God has plans for us this side of heaven? Not later. We know all about those wonderful things later on, right? Streets of gold, eternity with the Lord, that's wonderful. That's beautiful, and I can't wait to get there. 
But what about the things that he has promised us now, this side of heaven? I love the verse that Janine quoted this morning um, in our prayer meeting. It was um, Isaiah 43, verse 2, where it talks about this promise that God has made to us that, that when we go through life and experience life's difficulties, that the fire, that fire presented in that context is not going to consume us. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, I know the plans that I have for you. Plans of, what's it say? For I know the plans that I have for you, saith the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a, to give you hope and a future. The point is that God has wonderful plans for us. But if we are not behaving as we should, we can hinder the work of God in our lives. And I want to show you that. I want to validate this point. I want you to turn to Romans chapter 12. I want you to see this. Most of you know these verses. Perhaps all of us know these verses. I want us to see this. In the Old Testament, God demanded the fat. Today, He demands our flesh. He demands our carnal nature. He demands our faithfulness. That we are to honor Him. I'm waiting for you. Amen. Look at verses 1 and 2. It's a classic passage. It says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a, what? As a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Go over a few pages to Romans chapter 8. Look at verses 12 and 13. It says, So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Now turn over a couple books toward your end to Galatians. Galatians chapter 5. I want to limit my commentary here. I want you to see it for yourself in the scriptures. Galatians 5. Are you there? Amen. Galatians 5. Look at 16 and 17. He says, but I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. I think the correlation is clear. And I also believe that it's time for the body of Christ to wake up from his sleep. Maybe not so much you and I, right? Because I know that you and I, are, 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 our faith is active. But think in terms of the body of Christ around the world. Think in terms of the friends. Think in terms of perhaps some of us here today who do not necessarily know how to wrap our minds around the concept of Christian duty or Christian moral development or Christian responsibility. That's the theme here today. 
And it is found from cover to cover in the Bible. Nowhere in the Bible. You cannot use this book to sanction the ideology of simply sitting down and not necessarily doing anything with your faith. This book doesn't sanction that. Nowhere in this Bible. And again, the reason why I'm sharing this with you today is because this message is to serve as a prelude for what we are going to begin to discover uh, in Romans chapter 6. Because that's what we're going to be looking at next week. And, and Paul the Apostle, he talks about this theme. He raises this. He says, can we, just because we are saved and we're saved by faith, can, does it mean that I'm able to yield my, in, my members as instruments of unrighteousness? Does that mean that I get to do whatever it is I want to do with my life? And the Bible says, God forbid. It says, God forbid. There's a responsibility. Now go with me back to the Old Testament, Exodus chapter 30, because this is the last point. Concerning our theme. <clears throat> Exodus 30. And if you're writing down, it'll be verses 1 through 10. We're not going to read all those verses. We're just going to read 3. But verses 1 through 10 speak to this particular altar that God commanded Moses to <coughs> construct. Look at verses um, 1, 2, and 3. He says, you should make an altar on which to burn incense. You should make it of acacia wood. A cubit shall be its length and a cubit its breadth. It should be square and two cubits shall be its height. Its horns shall be of one piece with it. You shall overlay it with pure gold. Its top and its top and around its sides and its horns. And you should make a molding of gold Around it. There were no animal sacrifices on this particular altar. None. God instructs them to perpetually burn incense on it. And in fact, if you've read your New Testament Bible, we actually see that as well. Incense was being burned on it. And only the priests were allowed to handle work done on this one particular altar. King Uzziah, for example, he tried to sort of undermine the protocol of of, of offering incense. He thought anybody can go. And he got himself in big trouble by doing so. And many other people in the Old Testament actually died by trying to offer incense on this altar. That's all over the Leviticus in Numbers. What was this an image of? We've been talking about this. That's our theme. What was this an image of? It's an early image, get this, of the merits of Christ. In the life of a believer today. It's an early image of the merits of Christ in the life of a believer today. It was a symbol of the liberty that we have in approaching God's throne with our lives and with our prayers. The sacrifice. Because of what Jesus did. You and I had this amazing, this is Romans 5, 1 and 2, all over again. That's like the heart of the gospel right there, Romans 5. And I absolutely love it. But because of what Jesus did, we had this wonderful liberty to actually approach God. If you're writing down Hebrews 4, verses 15 and 16, or 16 and 17. It's the last two verses in Hebrews chapter 4. That also speaks of this liberty that, that we have. I can actually go before the throne of God. I don't need a man. I don't need a priest. I don't need any religious person. 
For those of you who are Christians in this church, you don't need an elder to take you before the Lord in prayer. You can ask for an elder to pray with you concerning your situation. But we can go before God ourselves. And it's the beauty of Christianity. It's the beauty of Christianity. And this, this point right here, it sort of rounds out this theme concerning our responsibility. And that is that we don't have to be intimidated. Yes, we got some issues. My, I don't, my issues got issues, right? And I'm, I know some of you, some of you are broke, busted, and really can't be trusted, right? You're, you're, you're tore up on the floor, as somebody once said. But, thank be to God. Thank be to God. Because of what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. Is there responsibility in serving out the Lord with our faith today? Absolutely, there is. But thank, thank God. For this liberty that we have to come before him. Look at Philippians chapter 4. You don't have to go there. I'll read it. I'll read it for you. Philippians 4, 6 and 7. It says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Can you imagine that opportunity afforded to us? I, I can, we can actually go before God in prayer. I, I know I said it already a couple of times. But it's worth noting it over and over again. Because if you're anything like me, there are times in our lives, especially when we're dealing with some, some difficulties, we sort of wonder whether we do have this liberty of going, of going before the Lord in prayer. Right now in my life, I'm going to be a little transparent with you. Concerning my family back east, it seems as if everything is falling apart. It seems that way. My my oldest granddaughter is cutting, and it's driving me insane. It's driving me insane. My mother is living alone, and she can't get around too well. She needs knee surgery. My son, my oldest son, he's as rebellious as rebellious can be. And and, and these things are happening. And I need and listen. I covet your prayers for my family. The point of it is that from time to time. From time to time, we get into this, this rut, and we, just for a little bit even, just for a little bit, is God really, do I really have the liberty to go before God in prayer? And if we can compel ourselves to actually go before the Lord in prayer, sometimes, well, He's not really listening to me anyway. And we do that sometimes. I know I'm not the only one. I know I'm not the only one. How about you? And the, and the reality is that because of Jesus... We know that God absolutely hears our prayers. And it doesn't matter how you feel. Your feelings do not determine whether this thing is real or not. These are absolute facts. And all we have to do is apply our faith to them. Right? And this thing works. It works. I know that it works. I don't understand what God is doing behind the scenes concerning my family. I, I don't. I wish He gave me a backstage pass. Right? So I can see. So I can help. He can help me navigate through this thing. That's just not the case. He said, trust me by faith. Right? That's God's mandate upon our lives. But therein is that notion concerning this responsibility that we have as believers. I know that my life is not the only one where, where there's some, some things on the balance like that. I know your life is too. Right? I know your life is too. And so we wonder... And these issues, these troubles, they bombard us, right? And sort of, 
one blow after another. And if we're not careful, we lose sight of the things that pertain to God. We lose sight of God's promises for our lives. And God has a lot of promises for us. And He never intends for the circumstances that invade our lives to diminish our perspective about Him. On the contrary, He wants our perspective about Him to be strengthened when we're going through the fire. When we're going through the water. When we find ourselves going through a major flood. And it seems as if we're going to be overwhelmed by our circumstances. Does that make sense? God says, trust me. I got your back, but I need you to follow through with your faith. Therein is that point again. The responsibility. If we go through some circumstances and we sit down and we sit back and we say, well, it's not worth it anyway. We may not use those words overtly like that, but with our actions, we say them. We say, you know what? And we sit down. And one blow after another, one blow, and it erodes our resolve for the things of God. You remember where you were when you gave your heart to Jesus Christ? You remember that season that you entered into immediately thereafter? When it seemed as if the sky was blue over your head every single day, and you were like walking on water. You know what? What? You're walking on water, and you're like, ah, the devil, what? Where is he? And, and you felt as if you can take on the whole world. Remember that? But then one blow after another. One blow after another. And Satan has a plan. He wants to weaken our resolve. One constant blow after another. The first one seems insignificant. And then the other one draws our attention just a little bit. But no, I got this. And then next thing you know, next thing you know, we're not reading. And next thing you know, we're not praying. And next thing you know, we're defaulting on our responsibilities at home. Next thing you know, this is indifference and this apathy that has crept into our marriages and our families, our relationship. Next thing you know, we start saying no to God's responsibilities here in church. No, you know what? I, I really don't want to do that this week. And I really don't want to get involved. And I really don't want to lead. And I really don't want and, and that begins to happen. And eventually it erodes. It erodes our faith. And we find ourselves in a sticky place, in a bad place. Then we question whether God is really at work in our lives or not. This is a message of responsibility. It may not be a shouting message, a a, a praising, a, a hosanna, a hallelujah message. But it's a message nonetheless. You know I'm not lying to you, right? I'm telling the truth. I'm trying to... Now, don't don't miss the point concerning... The wonderful place that we have in Jesus. I'm not saying this to violate any of that. This unconditional, this unmerited favor that we have in Jesus Christ. Salvation is a glorious thing. I'm not tampering with that. I'm talking about our responsibility. We need to get back. We need to get back. Some of you are not where you used to be and you know it. You don't need anybody in this church to be pointing those things out. You live with the conviction every single day. Some of you are not reading the Bible. And you know it. And every single day when you get up, before you go out that door, you feel this pull. It's like somebody's pulling on the back of your head. Get back in that room and read at least one verse. Or or the time that, that it takes to just bend the knee a little bit. 
Bend the knee just a very little bit, just uh, 10 seconds of prayer to God. He wants that intimacy from us. He desires that intimacy. And that's what this message is about. And Paul the Apostle, he's going to slap us a little bit next Sunday concerning Romans chapter 6. Because he gets into this. He takes away this liberty that we think we have in doing whatever we want to do with our lives just because God is as good as he is toward us in Christ Jesus. And there's no place for that concept in Christianity. The Christianity that believes that is an ultra-liberal Christianity. It's a dry, unsatisfying, unfulfilling experience. You know it as well as I do. Let me get the worship team to come up. Otherwise, I'm just going to keep on going. And I want you to stand with me. I'm going to leave it right there. I want you to stand with me. But I want you to close your eyes. And I want you to open your hearts to God. And I want you to consider. I know I could have done a better job with that. And I was all over the place. Still burning up. But I think God has spoken nonetheless. Close your eyes. Bow your heads. This is between you and God. For a moment. Just give him a moment. Give him a moment. Right here. Right now. That way you can say later on, yeah, I took the time to pray today. And I want you to consider the things that you've heard here today. And how God wants us to be responsible. We're not talking about working to be saved. We're talking about working because we are saved. We're talking about that wonderful responsibility, that privilege of carrying on with the work of the Lord this side of heaven. To be faithful, not to grieve the Holy Spirit. How many of you were born and raised in the church? You're part of this church. But you may not necessarily be where you used to be, where you would like to be. And there's something hindering your walk with the Lord today. That's what I'm talking about here today. That's what I'm talking about. Thank you, Jesus, if you're saved and if if you believe that, if you know you are. But where is your life today? What is God asking of you today? What's he asking you to sacrifice here today? Because that was the second part, the third part there. About the bronze or the brazen altar. God demanded the flesh from those who approached that particular altar. He demands our flesh today. That part of you that's hindering the work of God in your life. He wants that. He wants that. He, needs you to, he wants you to open your heart. He says, I got this. I got you. I got you. Yield your life to me. Give yourself over to me today. I got you. I'm going to make a difference in your life. I know you're overwhelmed, but you're reserving yourself for yourself. And and you're not letting me reach your heart. Open your heart today and pray to him. And ask God to forgive you. Ask God to forgive you all your sins. And to break that oppression, the bondages, whatever may exist. In your life, that indifference, the apathy, the insensitivity. And say, Lord, here I am. Father, here we are. We yield ourselves to you this morning. We yield ourselves to you today. 
And we ask you, Father, in Jesus' name, we recognize what he did for us. It was all over the sacrifices we talked about. The work that he would one day do for us. And looking back, he's done it, Father. He did it for us. And we are in Christ today. And we, we love you for it. But we also understand today that you're asking something of us. And your word says it over and over and over again. How we are to be faithful stewards of this wonderful gift that you've given to us. It'll make a difference in our own life. And then you will use us to make a difference in someone else's. Father, can you restore us today? Can you give us strength today? Can you anoint us today? Can you deliver us today? Deliver us from evil. As Jesus said in his model prayer. Deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. We look to you, Father. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.
Before we dismiss, um, I just simply want to extend an opportunity. If there is anybody here today who perhaps doesn't know Jesus, and you would like an opportunity to come to faith in Christ today, this is an opportunity. Or perhaps, perhaps you were born and raised in the church. At one point in your life, you used to spend a lot of time in the church, and you are no longer active. You know it. You know it. Something, something has changed within you. This is an opportunity for you just to simply seek reconciliation with Jesus here today. I want you to bow your heads with me one last time. Bow your heads, please. Nobody looking around. For a moment. This is an opportunity for you. You want to come to Christ because you don't know him? Or you need reconciliation and you know it. I want to invite you to come, if that is you. I want to invite you to be bold and to say, you know what? I need change in my life. And today is a good opportunity for that. I need somebody to pray with me. Somebody to agree with me. Because I want a difference to be made in my life today. Father, thank you so much for today. Thank you so much for speaking to our hearts today on the topic of our Christian duty. Because we know you. Because we are in the faith. Help us not to be negligent. I'm thankful for forgiveness. I'm thankful for all your promises. And for defending all of your promises. But Father, help me to do my part. I want to be faithful to you. In all areas of my life. In every aspect of my life. I want to honor you in everything that I do and say and think. Places I go. People I consider my friends. Father, bless us today as we prepare to leave. Give us this supernatural recollection, Father God, to remember these truths. To continue thinking about our duty before a holy God. We thank you for it. These things we pray, giving you glory and honor in the precious name of Jesus Christ. And God's people say, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. You are dismissed. Love you guys. See you next week.